Thank you for listening to the Troy Podcast, where we promote, educate, inspire, and entertain creators of all things related to fantasy and science fiction. Hi, this is Carson with Troy, and I'm with Matthew Wolf. Matthew, uh, thank you for getting on with me. Your uh, fantasy series, The Ronin Saga, um, it looks like it's doing well, and I appreciate the time that you took out of your day to get on with me. Go ahead and introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about The Ronin Saga. Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, so my name is Matthew Wolf. As you mentioned, I am the author of The Ronin Saga. It's a nine-book fantasy series planned uh, for or out and released in the in the heart of the saga so far. Um, last one released about seven or eight months ago, Tides of Fate. It has a very elemental take to it. Kind of uh, when people walk by my table, I'll say it's Lord of the Rings World meets Knights of the Round Table. Um, but the knights have kind of an uh, avatar elemental undertone. Um, so the heart of the story is really about these three friends, kind of Harry Potter trio, who their whole life they've been fascinated by the story of the Ronin, these kind of legendary heroes that were larger than life, that guarded these nine elemental cities, the city of water and the city of fire and the city of stone, these kind of grand um, kingdoms. But now in these three young friends age, the kingdoms are just a dark myth. Uh, or they're a myth and that the nine ronin that guard the guard of the lands are just a myth because they theoretically turned and almost destroyed the world so kind of the boogeyman of the world now in dark taverns and inns uh they say you know mothers tell their children to go to bed otherwise the ronin will get you uh but as the shadow comes back in the land right um these nine heroes have returned um nine dark heroes the main character doesn't really buy that they're evil. He thinks history has a way of changing the truth. And, but as he has to hope he's right, because um, as he walks outside this tavern, out of the mist, uh, steps the Ronin of fire, reads in flames of water, of stone. These storybook characters are real and he is the next generation. Um, so that's the heart of the story. And it's really about these kind of little older than Harry Potter, younger than like a wheel of time, Brandon Sanderson kind of same um, venue in Malou. But it's really about these three friends who go to these cool different cities and they're these grand settings uh city of water city of fire with fire raining in the night sky to find the next of their friends and these 18 19 year olds who have these insurmountable power and unfortunately everyone thinks that they're going to destroy the world so they have to reconcile with this power and then reconcile with every town and village that is going to you know think of uh, some sort of dark uh, messiahs um, and then and then hopefully save the world from what really is destroying it. Nice. So what was the genesis of this story? Uh, too much time on my hands. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's some truth in that. I say it a lot, but it's uh, I was living in Oregon at the time and I read a million fantasies. I read, you know, everything from, you know, uh, Tolkien to Wheel of Time to, um, Terry Goodkind and Sanderson was just kind of stuff kind of starting to come out and I just was writing I was just I was a totally different major I was a physics major and I started on my side time doing a little writing and I just had this random fantasy story that kind of cropped up into my head and I always thought Knights of the Round Table were really cool I read like lots of that kind of stuff um but I thought Knights with elemental powers would be kind of cooler so these kind of nine heroes that protect each other and i always like dark myths so i just kind of took all these little nuggets of gold and compiled them together and came out with their own in saga about a million years ago it feels like so how long did it take you to write the first book book one i started when i was 18 
which was always like felt so cool being this like early early author I'm like oh my gosh you know I'm an author but you know I was just churning words in my head making word soup book one took about seven or eight years to uh complete but I wrote it about 10 or 11 times when I published it in about 2014 2014 2015 and uh then it started doing well got top five on Amazon was getting like you know 30, 40 reviews a day, hitting up to like, you know, and then, but I was hearing all these things. I was hearing all these like, oh my God, this is like, this is the next best, you know, <laughs> whatever, you know, high fantasy story. But then there was also ones that were like, uh, like, you know, make or break my day. There's like, you know, obviously this is harsh critics. So book two, well, book one took eight years. Book two took six months. Uh, book three took about a year and a half, two years. And then book four took about a year and a half as well. Um, so I've got on a roll. You've, you've gotten faster as time gone on. Yes, yes. So you said you wrote that 10 or 11 times, the first book. What were some of the issues that you were having? Um, or is it just straight editing? Or did you rewrite it? That's a good question. I mean, part of the what I knew, I was naive enough to think I could write the best book ever when I was 18, which I think is great. I think that's what stops a lot of people when you're like 30, 40, 50 plus. You're like, You've already read, like, you, you don't have that naivety. Um, but I wasn't naive enough to, to know that, like, that's still not common. So I knew as a result that I would have to write it a lot of times. I knew my first draft wasn't going to be. And I always heard, I heard a saying when I was like 18 or 19, I went to a few writing conventions and they said, your first book isn't good, but your fourth or fifth is. So I thought, well, I'll just rewrite my first book four or five times until it's my fifth book. But what ended up happening was like, like a million things. Uh, the first version of the book, I actually had an agent interested. It said, uh, send him a partial request. Um, as you know, that's sent in like 30, 40, 50 pages. And I sent it and they were like, I like it, but I want to know more about the main character. It seems uh, undeveloped or I think they used or something like that. And I had this, uh, and he's like, could you send me a page of the characters like motivations and background and all this stuff and I, I couldn't write more than like three or four sentences. Oh. And I was like, oh my God, I wrote a whole book and the main character, I can't even get into his underlying motivations. So I just said, thank you to the agent. And I said, I'm, because the writing was good and the pacing was good and all that stuff. Um, so I scrapped it and I went back and was like, you know what? Everyone reads for different things. Um, I read for characters. So uh, even as a 20 year old at the time, I was like, I need to know who this character is. Uh, his name was Ken Doll at the time. And so my friends made fun of me because it was like Ken Doll. And so I rewrote him and I found out and I actually made his name Gray because I thought that was kind of like interesting because he does, in the beginning of the book, he loses his memories. Um, and so he's kind of this blank slate in the beginning, but he quickly, quickly, you know, develops and changes. So uh, yeah, it was a lot of things like that. A lot of things in learning how to write, a lot of things where I, and, and the other part, the biggest eight, you know, six or seven times of it was just that, like, I was just growing as a writer, you know? I just know that, you know, we're always growing, but <laughs> the amount of growth I had in those eight years was, was astronomical. So a bunch of editors were like, this is good. But, and I almost outpaced it. By the time I wrote the last four or five chapters of the book, I was such an evolved as a writer that I had to go back and change the beginning uh, to kind of make it all 
one one continuity piece. Well, that's kind of a good problem to have, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm glad I evolved. That's the main thing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. On your website, you said that um, Tracy Hickman gave you encouragement or took you under his wing as a mentor. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, that was pretty. I was pretty honored for that. So was that during this time when you're writing your first book, or was it a little bit later on in your career? Actually, right right around the same time, right in the beginning. Uh, I was 20 when I went to my first uh, writers conference in La Jolla, and I you're supposed to submit. There was like you pay a certain amount of money to get into the, the writers conference, and you pay a certain amount more for an established published author to read your work. And I chose Tracy Hickman, obviously having Dragon Lance and all that. You're supposed to only send about 10 or 20 pages, but I sent my entire novel. Uh, in hindsight, it sounds like I like wink, <laughs> um, but I definitely didn't intentionally. Like I didn't know the difference. Well, he sat down with me and he's like, "Hey, look, um, you're supposed to only send 20 pages. You sent the whole novel, but I started reading and I couldn't stop, and I read the whole thing and I loved it." And I was just like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. He was like, I was like, well, like what advice can you give? And he's like, just keep writing. I was like, really? That's it? And he's like, well, I do have one thing. And he got really serious and he looked at me. He's like, okay. So in the beginning, when he has the sword, um, he he doesn't put it, It's it's been wrapped in a cloth, like, you know, kind of layer because uh, the main character has this sword that like, you know, he got and it's like this very powerful magical kind of uh, Excalibur kind of sword. And he wraps in a cloth bandage and he says he pulls it out and it's still sharp as it was the day, you know, he put it away years ago. And he's like, well, there, that wouldn't be the case because it needs to be, you know, wrapped in like an oil cloth. And I was like, that's your one comment. You read the whole, the whole book all 500 pages and it needs oil cloth. I'm done. Like, oh, cool, cool. You know, it is a magical sword too. So, uh, but uh so yeah, he, he actually picked me up, not like physically, but he's like, you know, he's like, come on, follow me. And he walked me around and hooked me up with an editor. And uh, he's like, I think, I think we're ready to, let's talk with a publisher and an agent. Um, however, at the time, it still was in one of those draft phases. Um, I just got my partial request from another agent and I wanted to rewrite a lot of um, certain scenes to expand on it. So um, I was like, okay, I'll work with the editor, but um, I need to take it to that next phase. Um, but yeah, and then I reached back out to him when it was finished and he read the new version and loved it and said, I said, can I use your quote? And he said, yes, forever, you know, feel free. So. Yeah, I bet you're on cloud nine when he said that he loved it. Oh yeah, I was totally on cloud. I, I, when I got the quote too i was i was on cloud nine i was walking my mom was with me at the at the at the writers conference and she was just like what is happening and you know and 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 she's like just following me around as he's like taking me for different like you know kind of stalls and getting contacting with this agent and this publisher and i was like this is what it means to make it i mean obviously you know <laughs> at that point it's just a writer's conference <laughs> but it was cool to kind of like uh and then like a year later when it was um released um it was very cool to uh it was very cool to have that uh follow-up and to see um say uh yeah please use it i remember like i was also i was like 19 or 20 at the time i just come back from college for the weekend and i like knocked on my dom's door at like you know 11 o'clock and i was like hey like you know 
Tracy said, you know, it's the, it's the best book ever. No, he didn't say that, but, he, you know, and she was like, oh, my God. And so, yeah, those moments really make it. No, I like these stories of um, famous authors, people that uh, other people have looked up to for years. I mean, Dragonlance has been a staple to most fantasy readers forever. Yeah. And having them reach out and helping, you know, the, the next generation up, I think it's fantastic. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely... And I've had a few other moments, little ones like that. Um, like I met Paolini, uh, and now we're like, we follow each other. And at first when I met him, it was funny because when uh, with Aragon, I used to have an assistant and be like, she would talk about the book and she'd say, oh, it's a, it's a high fantasy that has like Lord of the Rings meets like Aragon. And so she said that to Christopher Paolini as he walked up at San Diego Comic-Con. He's like, oh, is it like Aragon? Uh and then he came over and was chatting with me and bought the books. And this was probably six years ago. Um, and then since then, we like we chat, we follow up, and we when conventions were really raging too, I'd see him at every single convention. He'd come over and he'd har- harass me, and I'd harass him. And so it was cool to see these authors who I was just reading and uh, just like on the outskirts, and now to kind of feel like they both like it and also like promoted and uh yeah it's it's i feel really honored that's awesome it's great to have those moments and i've been impressed with the way that um many authors are like they're so nice and so giving and it's just been amazing yeah michael sullivan is another one that i would shout out it's just one of the most generous authors he's a hybrid author was started as indie then got published um big time he's got six figure deals he's you know he's, he's super super successful. new york times bestseller um he's kind of like not he's you know still in the category of uh, we started around the same time and anyway i've always watched his stuff and kind of viewed him as kind of a contemporary competitor and then he started just writing more and, and just crushing it uh-huh. um and then i i had a kickstarter and i used the same narrator as him because i love his narrator and not his narrator i love tim draw reynolds he was one of my that was another starstruck moment. I used to listen to Tim Draw Reynolds all the time. And then when Tim Draw Reynolds uh, wanted to narrate my book, uh, I he said, I, and he even said, it was like, I wanted to wield the sword of the Ronin. Uh, I was just like over the moon. And listening to Tim read the lines of the book, I just was like, I was waiting. It was such a, surre- that was probably one of the more surreal moments because I was like, this is a guy that I've listened to so many great fantasies narrate. Um, and to hear him do the voices and be like, I was just waiting for a moment where he was like, cause he was he's so passionate. I was like, is he gonna think this is like, is he gonna stop for a moment and be like, you know what? <laughs> I don't know, like you're, you're so self-critical and you're so um, imposter syndrome that you're like, I can't believe this is really happening. Um, but then after he starts narrating the fourth book, you're like, then I'm like, you know, being critical in a good way. I'm like, okay, you know, and then we get kind of accustomed to to this stuff but michael sullivan was one of the best ones because i remember he i did a, a kickstarter to release a, a novella and it was a little novella and it started doing well it was it was right on the fence of funding and he pushed out an email and the next hour later all of a sudden my email was getting blown up and i went from like 50 or 60 or 70 of my true backers to this, for this novella to like 400 people um and he just he just did it for no reason, just because he supported good authors and so and indie authors. So that's a great really, story. Yeah. It's amazing how small the writing community is. Like 
I look at go to Barnes and Noble, whatever, and see these names of, of books, and it's so interconnected. Like, it is. for for example, uh, I released a a podcast episode two weeks ago that had uh, Robert and Dan Zingari. Oh yeah, they're and great. they they are great. They're they're wonderful people, and they mentioned you um, for Did helping they? them. Yes, <laughs> and they also <laughs> mentioned Michael Sullivan. See, yeah, it it really is interconnected. Yeah, and Robert and Dan, I don't even remember where I met them, but it's so crazy how you know. Um, they promoted my Kickstarters, I promoted theirs and released the books. And it really is. There's just like, it's, you know, and I sat next to Patrick Rothfuss at my last convention and chatted with Sanders. Like it's, you know, and then sometimes these guys just blow up, you know, something will just, you know, click. Um, like Sanderson, you know, with his last Kickstarter making $44 million or whatever. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a smaller community you think. And a lot of times it's just about reaching out. I think we're intimidated, especially when we're new to the, the genre and we're like, yeah, that's, that's, I'm never going to talk with that author or whatever, but it's just about reaching out and being like, Hey, look, you know, they have their own problems, their own fears and books that do poorly and books that do really well. So it's, it's uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's a smaller community than you think. I, I agree. Yeah. And it's, everybody's so friendly. It's been uh, this, this podcast has been a wonderful experience for me uh, just to meet some of my heroes and, and talk with them like, like yourself. That means, yeah, I, I'm, I'm really glad I'm here. And this is this is my favorite thing to do because everyone, my tagline when people walk by my booth is, do you like fantasy? And I say, yeah. Uh, and they say, yeah, like every time. So it's so cool to see these people who um, who are just like, they love fantasy. That's all, that's all it takes. They're like, yeah, I love fantasy. The dragons caught me in. They come by, they buy all four books, and I see them for years after. And so I love uh, interacting and chatting um, with everyone who, who loves fantasy and who's you know great podcast so I'm really glad to this is my favorite thing to do well perfect thank you so going back to to writing what are some of your writing habits and what how they changed as um, you've gone on um I've had a so the hardest thing in the beginning is learning how to become a regular writer to become a career writer because um, you know I'm sure everyone listening to this can understand the moments where you're like, you know, how do I find a time and how do I get, you know, there's moments where someone gets excited and they write a ton and then they just all of a sudden four months go by because life. So for me, I had to develop some very strict habits. One, I'll say caveat, I was lucky to start when I was pretty young. Um, so I didn't have a lot, as many responsibilities. But I still think that you can develop these these kind of habits early on. Um, so one was just an unearing passion. Like I knew I needed to be inside of me. And if it's not inside of you like that, I think you you know people are just you know kind of not it's not inside you. It's not inside you. That's fine. But I remember writing slogans like "Live to write" and "Write to live," you know, like and putting them above my bed. So if you have that kind of like itch inside of you, uh, then you're fine you just got to find habits. Um, so once you have the passion, that's number one. Number two, once you, then you just have to set up rituals. And there's a lot of tips and tricks. I'm actually coming out with a course probably in the next few months. Um, Cause I've just had so many people. I've just sent so many emails of like, these are my little summer tips and tricks and some are like ingrained rituals. Um, and I'll kind of share something with, with, with you now, but like one of the main ways is 
account accountability and holding myself to it. So I will, my ritual is that I will get up in the morning. Uh, I won't distract myself with a bunch of stuff. I'll maybe go for a run and I'll ruminate on the next chapter or whatever while I go for a run, come back and I just sit down. Like the quicker you can get behind the computer. Sometimes, some days I just literally sit in front of the computer because the more distractions, the more like, oh, I need to do this and I need to do this. Um, the more you can kind of distract yourself. But I'll have a post-it note and I'll write the day on it, like Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday. And I'll write every minute that I start writing. I'll light a candle is one of the things, those kind of tips or tricks I do too. Because the idea behind the candle is as soon as the candle is lit, I have to be writing. If I'm doing anything else, I'm doing the wrong thing. And the candle, I have to blow the candle out. So the act of blowing the candle out feels like an extinguishing, a stopping of something. And so if I get up to go get a glass of water, blow the candle out. And it stops me. It mentally stops me for that moment. I'm like, I'm not going to. I just lit the candle five seconds ago. But if you're getting up to get a glass of water, you know, to, you know, there's a squeaky door, there's a cat meowing, like, it's very easy to like not think about that. Um, so I'll light the candle and I'll write. And I've heard a lot of different things. Um, they say creativity is usually like two hours is kind of the max. But I try to do anything from 30 minutes to about, yeah, like 90 minutes, like an hour and a half. Um, and I'll, I'll be super accountable. If I write 31 minutes, I write 30. If I wrote 26 minutes, I write 26. Uh, and my goal is for five hours a day. And, and then at the very end of the day, I'll mark it off with a blue highlighter or whatever, you know, kind of signify it. And then I put it on my wall. So when I wake up in the, the morning and I see, I wrote Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, that all with that blue highlighter at five hours max, I have that momentum to roll into the next day. Um, and then if I don't, and if I see like a cross through it, you know, I wrote two hours, or three hours, or four hours and 59 minutes, then that also gives me the motivation um, to, to go into the next one. And then once you, the first probably four or five days of it, you just have to be really honest with yourself or hard. But once you're in like day six or seven, um, then it's no big deal. And then of course there'll be a day where something will come up, but as long as you only have one off day, um, then you just jump back into it. So that was kind of my main like ritual, the post-it note ritual. Um, but then there's tons of things that, you know, as a writer early on that I had to do to kind of convince myself, um, especially if you're very, very new to writing like I was, I would read all these great fantasies. I'm like, how am I ever going to be like that? So um, I would do lots of other things, you know, and just one last little thing I would, I would do is I would take a really great fantasy that I wanted to be like, write like, like a Tolkien-esque, even though Tolkien's a little slower and drier than I typically, I feel like I'm always, you know, uh, it's fantasy gods can strike me down when I talk about that. But, <laughs> but I'd read like, yeah, some really great fantasy. I won't specifically say a name. And I'd read some fantasy that I think is not as great. I also won't say a name. And I would, you know, to aspire myself, I'd be like, okay, this is, and inspire, okay, I can, I can one day get to this part. And, but then to be like, well, my writing actually might be a little cleaner, a little quicker, a little better pacing than this. So it's kind of nice to um, use those. Um, but that's when I was starting. But now it's just, you know, now I write because once the momentum is going and I'm four books in, the characters are very chatty in my head. <laughs> Got to get them out of your head on the paper. Exactly. No, I really like that candle um, trick. Uh, I think a lot of people could use that and benefit from it that was awesome yeah yeah i've had a lot of so i've um, i hope they do because that one's been pretty pretty successful for me and others and i like your cat uh, your calendar uh trick too i i think i read either seinfeld 
used to do something like that and um his his motto was not don't break the because he would put red x on calendars um for every day that he would write a joke or or write a routine or something and his goal was not to break the red x i I think that was in like uh tim ferris's tools for titans or or something like that that see that's always amazing like i love when things are actually like ingrained in other like very highly established people you know seinfeld and tim ferris and i'm like oh i stumbled upon that like um so clearly it's a it's a method that i think is by our nature it works because every time someone stumbles upon it and publishes it there's a everyone's like you know it's like uh it just keeps popping up all over the place because someone's like yeah it's a, it's it's a it's a tried and true tool um yeah so that, that one really worked for me and tim a lot of those things like atomic habits and stuff like that they do they have a lot of really good tips and tricks so i've read some of those books um but there's a there's a deeper thing to the routine i would say is the kind of last point to it um or the last thing that's like foremost when i tell people is one passion two routine three is having an outlet of someone who believes in you it, it doesn't really matter if you if you're the only person who believes in you awesome I like just crush it because that's really what matters but if you have one other person who will listen to you rant about your why knights are cooler with elemental powers like me and why the element of flesh and metal is like a cool element that's the difference right because my mom and my best friend would just listen you know and uh and you know it's just your mom or your friend or your dad or whoever at, at the moment or your girlfriend or your boyfriend but that passion to have someone who believes in you um especially when it's not good <laughs> uh because that's what it is to start with almost nine you know just because that's just the nature of things but that passion translates and correlates and and and, and brings it into life my mom my mom told me that the first chapter was actually bad when it was bad um eventually she got more and more and more honest but if she just told me it was bad off the start i wouldn't be here today um so someone who listens and, and appreciates and and then you know helps you bring it to life is, is very important no that's a, a great tip um as well to find somebody who even if they even if they're not a fantasy fan but will listen and encourage you um that's that's beneficial for sure exactly so are you are you a free writer or do you outline? I mean, nine books is a lot. So I'm assuming you have some sort of notes that you jot down, but how, how did you start off? I started off just totally free writing. Um, I'm a, I'm a pantser. Uh, but I now have to outline more. Uh, pantsing got me into trouble. Obviously I heard a podcast on Sanderson. He says, basically it comes down to the same thing. You know, if you free write, you're going back and you're rewriting um often you know let's say it's 10 hours of rewriting um but then you spend one hour writing theoretically you know so 11 hours but then if you are outlining it you're six seven hours of outlining it and then three four hours of writing you know so like it all ends up being the same amount of numbers in in his take and i i kind of agree i kind of agree that like um but you got to go with what what you feel like i'd say by at this point with just like you said very aptly is by book two three four I, what I outline is I outline the two things that I found very successful. One is the major clashes. Uh, I really like to visualize the cinematic, like final battle. I always like a final kind of battle in a, in a, in a book. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but to me, that's very kind of uh, cathartic. Uh, I've read too many books where there's no action and 
everyone's like, I wish something happened. <laughs> you yeah. know? Then, and there's also too much action. And then the second thing I want aside from like kind of the main, main kind of baddie, you know, uh, whoever they're actually needing to oppose and they go against is the character's motivations. And that's the bigger thing. I have a big white butcher block. Actually, you could probably see it here. Um, I know we're on the podcast, but I have a, I can show it uh, later on too, but it's a huge nine, 10 foot tall white butcher block piece of paper. I tape it up against the wall and I write every character and then I kind of do a brain mapping and connect them all to each other. So I say, okay, Gray's motivation is to, in book one, to get back his memories and to find out why he has this bloody sword and what is his power inside of him and why he's, is he going to be a dark legend or a legend of light, just like the, le- the knife's edge. And then I write everyone else's motivations and I tie them together and say, okay, this is how they tie together. And this is like how, and then the most important thing is like, how do they conflict? Like, oh, they both need to go here, but they both have differing ways of going about it. You know, one wants to kill the person and one wants to keep the person alive. And so that immediately creates my tension and creates my scene. Um, and the more, the, the deeper and the more resonating and true the motivations are, if I'm like, if I don't know what the character's motivation is, I'm like, in this book, he's just there. That doesn't, I need to go back to the drawing board. I need to understand that Darius's motivation is to keep his two friends safe, but at the same time, avoid responsibility. I need to know that Ava, as the kind of Hermione of the bunch, to, is to be passionate and uh, knowledge-based and to feel like she's contributing in the sense of like, you know, being the educated one in the scenario. Um, and once I understand those, I can really like, yeah, I can play them off each other and, and make really, really fun, tense scenes. I like what you said where uh, something needs to resonate. Like that's a powerful word. And even though you're writing in a fantasy world, things have to resonate with with the audience. I mean, that's one of the reasons why Harry Potter, I think, was such a, a success is, I mean, people realize their their prom or for guys like the the nervousness of asking out girls and, and stuff like that. Like, although there was so many fantastical elements, she brought in things that resonated with the average person. And yep. so that that's that's powerful. And doing that on a butcher block or a, a Word document or however you can do it, I think when you can pick out things in the character that resonates, I think that um, it brings power to a book. So uh, I agree. that's fantastic. I think also, and I think that's perfectly said, I think that also we find ourselves more authors have different takes on how they integrate their real life friends and family and stuff like that into the world. Some say they don't, some say they do. I very much write cathartically and I write, I find myself mirroring a lot of the main characters as a whole, like the main character, I was having really tough trouble in book two. I had so much momentum and the pacing is just boom, boom, boom. Uh, it's one of the fastest paced books I've ever read. And it's also took me six months. Turns out, you know, Gray needs to get stuff done. I needed to get stuff done. You see it in the book. Book three was one of the uh, slower. Um, I had a lot of like, I started feeling, okay, like this is my career. I have a lot of pressure now. Like not only book two, I had something to prove. Book three, I had something to like maintain. Um, and so I overthought a lot of things. And so there's a lot of overthinking in the character, which I think actually ends up resonating with a lot of people because there's a lot of doubt and, and questioning, but he finds a way through, especially when I revised and kind of cleaned up some areas. But um, yeah, and, he, and he, he feels devoid from his friends. And at that time I was actually living in an area that was away from a lot of my friends and connections. And so 
it's really fascinating how how the characters and, and I think that allowed the character to resonate more with me and more with readers because I was being true to myself. Um, and then book four, things were really coming together and I kind of went through, you know, a rough relationship and, and, and I solidified uh, this kind of pure action and intention in book four. And I think it's one of my strongest yet. And so I think, yeah, I think you have to write from a place of resonance. You have to write from a place of, that's why a lot of authors say you have to write what you know, which I think is not true. What they're really saying is you have to write what you feel passionate about and what you believe in. Because I remember one time, the most truest example of this is I was writing really well and I, um, at the time, and I was even though I was, I was young and it was still juvenile as a writer as a whole, um, I was publishing some things in some like articles and stuff and I was doing really well. But then I had a class that I had to apply for and the, the application for this writing class in college at UCSB was to write a small short story. Well, up until this point, I was writing all these things that I was passionate about, but then I wrote this story that was so, it was all about this like young merchant girl who's Russian and who had like, it was kind of like a total bad spinoff on some sort of like Raskolnikov crime and punishment thing. And I wrote it and I submitted it and it was bad. Like it just was, I, I cause I didn't believe in it. I was writing to sound fancy and to be cool. Uh, and I didn't get into the class. And I thought it was so funny that I got like these awards at these times and I was published in a few magazines. I was even published in the USB, USB, UCSB paper, which is also way, all way harder than this kind of like 101 class to writing. And uh, I sent it to a few friends. I was like, oh, I didn't get in. And they're like, yeah, cause this is awful. Like you didn't oh. write what you love. And I didn't, I didn't take offense to it because what I'm really, you know, if your characters don't live and breathe and they don't have passion, despite how it could look technically good writing and prose, um, it doesn't doesn't mean anything. So, yeah, I think I think write what you what resonates with you and make your characters larger than life, like Harry Potter. All these like that's why those uh, academy books because we all have gone to school and we've all faced those like you said those simple dramas of breakups and tensions and, and, and love and bullies, and so. Um, but you also have to write it because you believe it. So, Right, for sure. So your first book came out in 2014. Um, and your last, your fourth book came out, you said, eight, nine months ago? Yeah, something like that. So what has changed and how have you been able to keep up? I mean, being a self-published author, your income is based off of sales. So, like, you have to do all, you know, you have to bounce around the Amazon algorithm. You have to, like, keep up with marketing. How? What have you done to kind of stay on top of that? And do you have any like tips um, or tricks or just kind of pay attention? Just not. Yeah, I don't, I don't. I'm just, you know, I, uh, cardboard box. No, it's, it's actually <laughs> been really good. Uh, there have been some tough times as an indie author for sure. Um, cause I'm all about full transparency. Like I, when I finished book two, I was like, okay, I'm crushing it. I'm making, you know, pretty good, you know, a few thousand dollars a month on Kindle sales alone. Um, when I was 24, I was like, cool, I'm, I'm set. But things keep dropping, you know, as you know, as you know, it's not going to stay in that same category rank forever, unless you hit a certain tipping point. I think once you're tipping point, once you're Sanderson, once you're real time or whatever, uh, especially when you have a new series, you know, HBO series and all that, um, then it kind of is able to stay afloat on its own because people look, what's the best fantasy? And then you're just looking for the top four or five things. But for me, the, I did a lot of stuff in the beginning. I spent months and months years even uh you know vlogs and 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 
promoting on yeah virtual tours and different sites and a thousand different sites you know 100 of them free and 900 of them you know five dollars here and 100 dollars here and 500 dollars here and i found some you know kind of intermittent success i would say like the hours didn't equate that i put into that into the success you know every sale was great because i got a new fan but the biggest true tipping points for me uh were two one wasn't really a tipping point of like i wish it was someone i i, I could tell for a future author or writer or current author here that was like this is what did it i found my niche um it was i really like connecting with people and i connect people with people uh in person really well and so i would go to these conventions these comic cons and so this is before i even you know had sold probably i sold like i don't know ten thousand books total um maybe even less than that and i remember i went to a convention and this first book physically sold was to this nice sweet grandma and I was like, she get, she asked me, for the, I was like, she's like, so what's the book about? And I didn't have an elevator pitch at the bat time. And I was like, uh, it's like a, a young man who ha has a power and, and she's like, sounds great. Sounds great. Love it. My grandson's going to love it. Here's 30 bucks. And I didn't even like, I didn't, it just was like, oh my God. And so that moment, that transaction of, um, of realness made me really excited. And so after that, I went to dozens and dozens of conventions i probably i've been to hundreds of conventions but i tried to probably about 20 conventions a year in the beginning i did like four or five um i mean like 10 10 a year and i kept upping it every year um and that's how i made a lot of my true fans you know they say make a thousand true fans and I, i'm really grateful for that uh, my patreon that i started about two or three years ago is I'm so lucky and honored that I have a really successful, I have about 34 patrons, but they all um, are huge shout out to them because they, <laughs> they give a lot um, of support and I'm, I'm very honored. Um, and I try to give a lot too. Of course, I try to give merchandise and inside chapters and all that. And I think that's really special. I think because I'm also not, we were talking earlier kind of before the podcast started that I'm, I'm at a pretty good tier, but I'm not at the tier where I'm untouchable in any way, shape or form. So I still get to interact with people. I just did a Q&A with my, my, my patrons the other day and I get to, you know, see them at conventions, you know, and chat for 20 or 30 minutes where a lot of um, bigger authors, even bigger ones, you know, have, they have 30 seconds, say hi, say bye. Um, and I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm excited for that day, but I'm also not excited because I really like seeing everyone every year and kind of chatting and yeah, a two and a half hour Q&A uh is is really is really fun to me so uh that's that's one of the ways i just have these really true fans use conventions so i'm making that connection i think once you find it doesn't have to be conventions but once you find your niche whatever it is um and it was hard you know i really had to i went you know spending thousands of dollars at convention before i even make a single sale is is scary especially when i don't you know that's my rent for the month <laughs> if i don't i'm in trouble but now I'm lucky and honored that that's a little bit more. It's not, it's not pennies to me anymore. It's still a, a big part of, of things now. Um, but Audible is one of the biggest ways. Um, I, am, I took a risk with Tim Gerard Reynolds uh, because I know he's an amazing author, but uh, narrator, but he's, you know, full disclosure, he's like six or seven, I've posted other ways, like six or $700 an hour. So it's not cheap. And so finding, um, that uh so fronting that off the bat was a lot but it's paid dividends 
uh, just because I do believe the book is so great. And then having him elevated up as a narrator, just those two combined has have been where I've made the majority of my my sales and my 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 new fans. So I have those kind of core group from the conventions who buy the books repeatedly and support it. And then I have the the algorithm from Audible. It's got I think we have like you know I don't know two or three thousand reviews across the series and um, yeah and stay in the top like five hundred rank um, of fantasy. So especially when a new book releases. So that's what I really got to get on. <laughs> No, that's amazing. And for people who are indie authors who might be on the fence of um, doing a convention, I think that you finding this that other people might find success as well. I mean, it takes a, a certain person, I think. You have to be kind of outgoing. But I think people can learn that for the most part. And totally. If, totally. if, if they need to. And, and it is scary, especially that upfront cost uh, for a narrator who is very successful. So, I mean, yeah. like you said, sometimes there's, there's risk involved and sometimes it, it pays off to take those risks, even though you might not pay your rent. Yeah, it is. You got to find a way, you know, because every time you do the bigger risk, every time you, you know, I've seen so many indie authors who may have a really great story, but they're like, I could never pay 1500 from a cover artist. And I was like, well, you paid 400 and now that looks 400. And sometimes don't get me wrong. Sometimes two or three, 400 does pay off. Like there's, no such thing. There's definitely things, great artists who are, you know, who are a great, great price. Um, but they're like, wow, your art looks so good. And I've literally sold thousands and thousands of books because people just see this beautiful, beautiful art by um, a Magic the Gathering artist. And it's got clouds and dragons. You look at the book one cover. It's just phenomenal. And so, so is the rest of them. Um, so it, it's like anything, you know, as, as you know, um, the more risk you put in, the more potential reward you get. So you know, risking that moment. And then you have to put in the effort too. It's just because the book cover and all that stuff is good. And just because I paid, you know, 3000 or 4000 for a, a booth and all this stuff doesn't mean the books are going to sell. I'm going to have to walk up and I'm going to be like, hey, come on over, check out what this book is about. And then, then you just speak from passion and heart. And that's all it is. It's just a constant vulnerability and risk and a constant reward. And I'm almost, I've never had a convention uh not pan out like i've I've had some where they're a little slower or whatever but as long as you put that same effort in and a lot of it's knowing and curating your style like i've done a good job i think i have a good job of like you know getting cool merch i have these like challenge coins and this and that and like they're all the little things that add up to a greater picture i have a color schema you know like so you want to make your product inside and outside look and feel a certain way but once you have that you put yourself out there and engage with people and you're going to get the return you want so. yeah and even if it's just one fan that fan can turn into dozens or you know a bunch oh totally totally well i've had uh, i've had so many fans be like yeah i met you through so and so so and so that this book has been passed 15 hands down the row and it's brown for the side covers and and you just never know. Like, I mean, I'd say half of my Patreon fans, uh, out of the out of the thirty-four core core uh, people, half of them are convention people. And so I would not have them if I didn't just say, "Hey, how's it going?" Um, but then the other half are because someone told someone, or they saw it on Audible, and they're like, "So you just never know where the connections are going to come." And then you have this like, yeah, remarkable fan for life. Hopefully. So before we started, you talked about you have another series that. Um, something new. 
So can you tell us a little bit about that or do you want to keep that under wraps until it comes out? I, I, I can do a little bit of both. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so I've been keeping it under wraps. It's mostly for my kind of, yeah, my, my Patreon fans, but I'm excited because it is getting closer. And so now I do want to kind of let people know and get, uh, generate a little hype on it. So it's been very weird because this is my saga as a saga and everyone's like, that's what I supported. That's what I love. That's what I am. And I haven't written anything else outside. So this is, you know, it's different for someone like Sanderson who's written 15 other series. I, um, but when I started writing the series, I always knew it was going to eventually end. Um, but I thought, but as I've been writing the series and I still have the same amount of passion, which I'm knock on wood, very lucky and grateful for, I outlined all of book five. And as I was about halfway into uh, uh, the outline process, I had an idea. And the idea was for something that, I'll tell you where the passion came from, then I'll tell you where, like, why as, a, as an author, it's good probably to have a second series. And the passion came from the idea of that I really like, first I like, I'm character-based. So I had this idea of this character who's kind of a uh, roguish parkouring kind of kid, orphan, classic orphan thing, but he's from an earlier or a future earth. And so it was kind of like a dystopic thing. And then eventually in the very beginning, what ends up happening um, is he gets kind of uh, S.E. Kai or kind of thrown through a portal, kind of your portal series where he gets thrown through a portal into a new world. And it goes from this kind of grungy, smog-filled, apocalyptic world to this like new world. So he's like grateful. It's like one of the few stories where he's not like, there's always a story where he's like, I wish I went back and I wish I went back. And I was, I've been kind of tired of those. I'm like, I want someone who escapes. And it's like, yes, thank you. Uh, so like, that's what's happening. He's like, oh my God, like, I don't want to go back. Like, but, um, but also, you know, over, overwhelmed by a world with magic uh, this kind of green rolling world. And it's a world where basically uh, kind of the main premise is that there's this giant, giant tree, this kind of Yggdrasil tree that crawls through the nine realms. And so the realms are divided by these clouds uh, and each realm has its kind of own platform and its different cultural base. You know, the beginning realm is kind of this um, earthy, middle earthy kind of Viking realm. The next realm is kind of this Asian, uh, you know, medieval realm. The next realm is kind of this Indian realm. And so um, they have, and each one has its own culture and, and then own crazy, crazy magical creatures like giant flying sky eels, all this cool stuff. So, but the origin of it was that I, I'm most of this kind of snarky, sassy, funny, rakish character. Um, but I wanted a series that was, that could potentially tie into my main series. So that's kind of spoiler that I, it's as much as I'll say. Um, but the second part was that I wanted something that was progression fantasy. So I don't know if a lot of people are familiar with progression fantasy um, or, or you heard too much about it. It's kind of much more popular lately. So it's fantasy um, that has a constant evolution of a character. That's what most fantasy should be. Um, but to those who haven't heard about it, it's really, really, sometimes it can get very, um, I've, they use the word like chunky or, 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 or practical, but basically you start like, level one you could to level 100 that's mm-hmm. one version other ones are you know um copper rank to silver rank to gold rank so forth so a lot of people know these are lit rpgs but they're kind of evolving now and they're becoming i wanted to do something that's less lit rpg and less like guy in a video game and more just like a constant evolution of a character who's constantly getting stronger 
and um, and you can see that by the end of each one. It's not like they are stronger. A lot of fantasies, you know, like the main character gets stronger, but you don't see a very practical application of it. Um, and then they have some other elements that are kind of you can you can kind of Google and look it up, but it, um, uh, our you know new readers can look it up. Um, but yeah, so I, I liked that and that all, and part of it was because my buddy just came up with a series called Shade Slinger. His name's Kyle Kieran. And we were, we were video game buddies together and he is crushing it, you know, like super, super thousands and thousands of sales, six figures a month, you know, like he's just, and it's a great series. I highly recommend it. Really, really nice guy. I'm writing his name um, down so I can contact him. Yeah, you should. Yeah. Re- call him and, and, and tell him uh, that, that, uh, that Matt Wolf, uh, we used to play together as, uh, you can tell him my video game name was Don's. Uh, Don's. So you, yeah, you can tell him, you can tell him uh, Matt Wolf or Don's uh, message. You know, he knows me, obviously, Matt Wolf, too. Um, but he is super, super successful um, with progression fantasy, and he hit a really, really cool, and he's he's got a really fun snark. His main character has an axe, and the axe talks, and it's kind of like the star of the show. Um, anyway, he's been crushing it, so he's been, like, hounding me for the last about four or five months, like, hey, you did really, really well in a giant sea, which is fantasy. Fantasy is a huge sea. You got your Game of Thrones, your Lord of the Rings. You got these epic titans in this vast ocean. But then you got lit RPG and you got progression fantasy, which are these smaller pools and that are just crushing it because the Amazon algorithms are amazing. Um, and you get these re- readers of progression in, in, in lit RPG who just read through massively um my read through on my book one to book two and three four is like 60 to 70 percent which is really high for fantasy um but usually it's about 40 to 50 percent if people read book one 50 percent 40 percent read book two and so forth i think part of it's because my i really did set the book up as book one as kind of a setter and book two as just like you're in you know like hook hook in line um but progression fantasy is like 90 percent these oh, wow. people read book one and they just crush through the rest of the series. Um, and so, so yeah, I've been excited about it. I've been, I first I was like, ah, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, but once they started listening to these progression fantasies and I pretty much listened to all of them, um, I, I love the, the kind of genre a little bit. It's a fantasy, but with just a little bit more of an active role and, um, and a constant kind of leveling up and powering up, but in a, in a, in a little more subtle way. So, it's cool. So that's what I did. And also because book one, I love book one, but if people don't love my initial book one, The Ronin Saga, that's it. That's where they stop. And so I wanted to create another series because book one came when I was 2014 uh, to kind of see, I like, I've never had anyone not love book two, three, four, five and onward. Um, but, you know, if, if you, if you don't love the beginning of the saga, you know, then, then, you it's gonna you're not gonna get book two book three book four right so that's been my kind of goal um that i i'm gonna create a, a, a book one that is uh, of a new series that's gonna tie back in and pull people both readers of the saga into a new world uh and readers of this new world back into the saga so do you have a date yet of when you want this new series to release uh we're actually have a Kickstarter um, coming up from an early release so everyone gets an early copy and, and, a, and a better deal on the saga looking to be the art is coming in on May um, and the Kickstarter is already being designed um, and I'm filming the video on Friday so 
you know, if people stay up to date on it, it's looking by the, the Kickstarter actually launching sometimes mid-May. Um, so probably in the next, yeah, like month, I'd say in the next 30 days. Um, and then people will be able to get their copies uh, probably in about two to three months, hopefully. I mean, depending on how quickly editing goes, um, but it's, it's done. So. Nice. That's exciting. Yeah, I'm excited. It's, it's a big one. It's really nerve wracking for me to release something new because I'm so used to releasing new in the series. And I'm like, oh, I know exactly how many, you know, all these cool fans and new fans. Um, but to do something entirely new is exciting. That's awesome. So what are your plans for the rest of the year? Are you going to any more conventions? Yeah, I have uh, April is nothing for the rest of April. May is my next one. Uh, the end of May is Phoenix Comic Con. I think it's May 27th through 29th. So if anybody's in uh, Phoenix, uh, listen to this, they can stop by and uh, say hi. That's one of my biggest ones. They're really, really great. Um, I post my booth numbers and everything on my website um, in my Instagram, wolf underscore writer. But um, then I'm going to, after that is uh, San Diego Comic-Con uh, is, is a good one. Uh, it's in June or July. Um, and then I have Chicago, I have Emerald City. Um, so I try to hit all like the major cities. I'm going to go to New York again. Um, yeah, so I'll, I think I have about 12 for the year as a whole. And uh, did COVID really hurt you that way that stopping the conventions and stuff? It was weird because it, it, it hurt me. Well, first it hurt me economically because it stopped the conventions and it hurt me from seeing fans. So it hurt me emotionally. Um, but I did when, when COVID happened is actually when I released my audiobook. So it was, I was actually forced to do something different and then audiobooks crushed everything else. So it was actually a, a blessing in disguise. It was kind of a, um, it ended up working out really for the best. Um, but now that audiobooks are crushing it, um, I'm now I, they're all on automated, uh, you know, people are listening to, I get to actually see people. So, uh, yeah. COVID, so now you get your cake weird. and eat it too, right? Yeah, I get both. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Perfectly said. Uh, but it's still weird, though, because they're like 50% capacity, a lot of them. Some of them are really, really great, and they do a good job of keeping everything um, running smoothly. But uh, but some is a little like, it's like, oh, I, I remember what it used to be like. Um, but I know San Diego is going to be great. I know Phoenix is going to be crazy. So I know, I know there's going to be some really fun, crazy ones coming up. Perfect. Tell everybody how they can get a hold of you. Yeah, so um, matt-wolf.com is where you can uh, check out more posts about me. Um, uh, so my books are signed all on there. You can obviously get them on Amazon, stuff like that, but love when people support me on the, the website to get the uh, full percentage. Uh, Facebook.com slash Ronin Saga. Uh, I haven't been posting as much on, on Facebook, but and wolf underscore writer on Instagram is where I've been kind of really trying to uh, promote. Um so yeah, follow me on, uh, follow me there and stay connected. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm always down. You also on mattwolf.com, you can contact me if you have more questions about the writing. I like actually interacting and, and chatting with, uh, with future readers and fans and reader and writers. So, uh, otherwise, yeah, just anyway, you know, how wolf at the moon and, uh, and I'll, I'll be there. <laughs> You'll answer. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Well, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it. And I learned a lot. Well, thank you so much. This was a great, uh, great experience and i look forward to doing it again thank you for listening to the troy podcast please subscribe like and share with your friends